The scripture reading comes from various excerpts of John chapter 6. Please read along with me, beginning with verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. Verse 27. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to be taking a break from our current series on Genesis. And as we're entering into the season of Lent, uh, we're going to, for the next few weeks, go through our Lent series. Uh, Lent, it, it marks the 40 days of uh, leading up to Resurrection Sunday. And it essentially is, to, to, uh, is intended to reflect on, on the person and work of Jesus Christ as we celebrate 
the resurrected Christ. And for the next few few weeks, um, we're going to learn about Christ, and we're going to learn about him through his seven I am statements, which we see um, all throughout the Gospels, essentially to prove that Jesus Christ, uh, the Son of God, um, is the one we can find our worth and our trust in. And it is in this declarations of I am that could shape of who we are. For today and this morning, we're going to start with the statement, I am the bread of life. Now, for us to truly comprehend Jesus' statement, I am the bread of life, uh, we have to know the context a little bit, which is the feeding of the crowds. Now, the feeding of the crowds is considered to be one of the most popular miracle accounts in all of the Bible. In fact, it's going to be the only miracle uh, that is documented by all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when we see John chapter 6 in the very beginning, specifically verses 1 through 13, it tells us the story. It tells us that Jesus, he's growing in popularity. He's trending. He's gaining followers. And as he's growing in popularity, the masses begin to surround him. And what happens is in John chapter 6 is we see him kind of moving away from the crowds. But as he's moving away from the crowds and he's turning around, well, what do we see? We actually see another crowd that was waiting for him, that he couldn't get away from this, that his name was too big. He was too renowned. And as this crowd is approaching him, we find a particular detail that John says that this crowd in particular was significant in size. How do we know? Look at verse 10. It specifically tells us. It tells us that it was about 5,000 men. So when you see in your Bibles and you see the header, it will say Jesus feeds the 5,000. But what's interesting about the 5,000 is that scholars will note that when it says the men, it's actually a documentation of not just men singular, but it's a representation of families. So a lot of these scholars will note that it wasn't just 5,000 men, but it was also including the entire family. So, you know, a lot of uh, these scholars will say it goes way beyond 5,000. We can go anywhere from 10 to 20,000 of people. So I want you to consider this with me and, 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 and picture this that you have a few disciples, the masses that are hungry, and one risen Savior. So it's in this scenario, we see the disciples having a conversation with Jesus, and they're kind of pondering, they're trying to figure out, Jesus, how how are we going to feed the crowds? There's so many. Jesus, in such gracious form, he sits the crowd down, and what he would do is he would get five barley loaves, two fish from a little boy, and they would feed the masses with plenty to remain. Now, if this was Sunday school, we could probably close in prayer. However, we know that Jesus always wants to teach, and he wants to showcase something far greater than just the miracle. He wants to showcase something much greater than just the miracle itself. And what he wants to reveal is this, is that for you and I, 
We all yearn for a fulfillment in life. But Jesus Christ as the bread of life is the only one that can satisfy our deepest needs. When Jesus Christ declares, I am the bread of life, he's going to tell us of three things which will uh, be our time today. First point is that the I am, it tells us of who he is. The bread demonstrates his love for us. And finally, of life is going to tell us how Christ radically shapes our lives. Who he is, how he shows us, and how he shapes us. First point, who he is. Now, after the miracle of Jesus feeding the crowd, starting in verse 25, Jesus and his disciples, uh, they're having a conversation. They're chopping it up, if you will. And in this, this conversation, the disciples ask Jesus, show us another sign. Jesus, I, I know you just kind of did your thing right now, and that was kind of cool, but mm, can, you, can you show us just a little bit of more? I mean, one more thing so that we know that you are Messiah. So... How does Jesus respond? Does he give them another miracle? No, he actually does something very else, something a little bit more radical, something a little bit more unique. Looking at verse 33 and 35, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 35, then Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. What is Jesus saying? That the I am statement is a declaration of not just what he does, but essentially it's about who he is. See, think about it. If it was solely about miracles, if it was solely just to kind of showcasing his power, what would he have done? He would have just performed another miracle, but he doesn't do so. What is Jesus' point right now? Is this. He's saying, I am the miracle. I am the evidence of faith. And it is not just my miracle, but it is me. See, for us to really understand the Christian faith is this. It is more than just miracles. That the core of the Christian faith is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. See, if you only look for the miracle, just as if you only look for the miracle in life, you're going to misunderstand the primary point of his works. Now, I know some of us in this room are saying, you know, Brian, I, I know this, right? I, I know that that is the case. But I want us to really ask ourselves the question is, do we really? But how often is our faith a little shaking when we don't see what we have hoped for? You know, are we still strong in our faith when God isn't performing that miracle that you uh, earnestly desired in your life? Essentially saying, are you basing your faith on only what he does for you. See, Jesus is trying to state, he's trying to convey that he is the miracle. It's about him. And what this miracle does, what this feeding shows us, it shows us actually two things about this I am. When Jesus Christ says, I am the bread of life, saying that he is the one and only, it tells us two things in particular. First, it showcases us to his character, and secondly, his mission. How do we see this? It showcases the character of Jesus. Consider this miracle. Consider what he is saying. That he provided for those that were in need. 
He worked even though he wanted to rest. He was so humble that he would use the weakest person around him, a child, to use the most simplest and lowest of resources, bread, to showcase who he is, to showcase character. Secondly, what do we see in this I am statement? It says much about his mission. What do we see in this mission? Just as the other I am statements, he makes the blind see to restore physical brokenness. He approaches the oppressed to restore the injustices of the world. And in this miracle in particular, he feeds the hungry to restore the understanding of what truly satisfies us. See, miracles are meant to showcase the mission against what he hates in the world. And what does he hate? He hates suffering. He hates injustice, and he hates death. This miracle is showcasing that he came with a mission of healing and restoring what is sinful and broken in this world. But here's the thing. Here's what's so interesting. It tells us, in light of who he is, it's actually a reflection of who we are. Because looking at verse 25 and 26, look at how the disciples respond. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, uh, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Now, when you see, but because you ate uh, your fill of the loaves, it implies this, that people were seeking Jesus only for the physical or material benefit that he gave. That instead of seeking Jesus uh, uh, because of the signs, rather than acknowledging his, his divine nature and the identity in, as a true Messiah, it was in these disciples when they're seeking to get their loaves filled, is essentially saying, I just want what you give me. And it tells us something about their unbelief, but actually says a lot about our unbelief as well. The reason why you and I, we, we lack so much faith in Jesus is because we're always looking for the things that benefit us rather than the things that would most glorify him. In other words, we don't look at Jesus for who he is, but rather what we want him to be in our lives, how he can provide for it so we can be better off moving forward. And I think it's going to be really important, you know, for the believer, both uh, young and both a little bit more mature in faith, is to kind of uh, reconcile that, you know, if we're not careful, if we only look at Jesus for what he can give you, it's going to be leaving you to some of the most biggest disappointments in your life. Because you mistakenly replaced uh, the promise of God through person of God just so that he can advance your pedigree. Right? That's why in verse 27, he's actually warning the disciples of this. He says, uh, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. See, Jesus is warning his disciples, be careful of what you're working for. Yes, be careful of the food that spoils. And it's not necessarily the wrong thing, but when you work for it so much, 
you're actually uh, ruining your spiritual appetite for Jesus, right? It's like you're, you're creating spiritual unhealthiness. You're creating an unhealthy appetite for other things rather than God himself. So Jesus is saying, be careful. Now, I got to be clear, does that mean, you know, is there anything wrong with uh, a worldly, you know, things of this world? Is there anything wrong? Not necessarily. You know, is it wrong to have a career? No, it's, it's a good thing. Is it wrong to have a relationship? No, it's a, it's a good thing, right? You know, these things that, you know, you desire in this life that you work for, those are all great things. But what Jesus is saying, you know, be very careful to, to not place so much value into it. You know, a good thing can become a great thing, right? We, you know, we, we look at this illustration of, of, of bread of life and, and kind of like the things that nourish us. Is it wrong for us, you know, to, to enjoy a little bit of sugar? You, know, you can do it in moderation, right? Caffeine, you know, every once in a while. Carbohydrates, eh, you know, treat yourself, right? You know, those are bad things, but, man, when you can get consumed by it so much, what happens is... is actually really breaking down your body. It becomes an unhealthy appetite. And what Jesus is just being very clear, you know, these are, you know, these are okay things, but be careful that they become ultimate things. And if you allow them to be ultimate things, it will lead to a lot of unhealthy uh, disappointments within your life. Um, there's a quote in your bulletin uh, from the book, Happiness is a Choice, and it illustrates this perfectly. It says, Many people do choose happiness, but still do not obtain it. They seek for inner peace and joy in the wrong places. They seek for happiness and materialism. They seek for joy and sexual prowess, but end up with fleeting pleasures and bitter long-term disappointments. They seek inner fulfillment by obtaining possessions of power and corporations, but they remain unfulfilled. I have had millionaire businessmen come to my office and tell me that they have the biggest houses, yachts, condominiums in Colorado, nice children, a beautiful mistress, an unsuspecting wife, secure corporate positions, and suicidal tendencies. What in this life do you believe satisfies you the most? And you got to ask the question, is it really leaving you satisfied? Because maybe it's in this life you are meant to find satisfaction into the temporary things of this world, but essentially only to find your worth, your value, and identity in the one who created this world. Would you look at Jesus? Look at Jesus as he's declaring something very bold, that he is the bread of life. He is the fulfillment of prophecy. And he came to be all that you ever need. And if you trust in him, he will be all that you ever want. See, that is who he is. And what makes Jesus so compassionate and so loving is how he shows us our second point. What's happening here? Jesus up to this point essentially saying this, that everyone in this world not only hungers physically, but everyone in this world also has a spiritual hunger. That everyone, you and I, we all have deep down inside a, a, a longing to be fulfilled. 
And because of this desire, this spiritual hunger, we're going to look for satisfaction. We're going to look for our joy. But because of our sinfulness and our weakness, we're going to find it in the wrong places. But in Jesus, what he's saying in verse 35 and 37, that he is the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never, ever drive away. His point is this, is that just as bread is to temporarily satisfy your physical hunger, Jesus, as the bread of life, permanently satisfies your spiritual hunger. And what I love about this is how Jesus breaks this down. And in verse 30 and 31, it's the disciples having this conversation with Jesus, and they bring up this term called manna. Now, we want to break down what manna is. What is manna? In the Old Testament, uh, manna was bread from heaven to eat. It was a sign of God's provision. During the 40 years between the time the Israelites left Egypt and entered the promised land, uh, they would face these harsh conditions. There's so much uncertainty and uh, a wilderness, if you will. And in this wilderness, it also included a, a lack of food. So it is during this wilderness season to alleviate this problem, God would provide the Israelites what we call bread from heaven, manna. So for the Israelites... Moses was sent as an appointed messenger from God that would lead his people to the promised land and he would provide manna during the wilderness. And Jesus, in all of his wisdom and insight, he knows this. So what do we see in verse 32 and 33? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. What is Jesus declaring? He's saying, I know you mentioned Moses, and I know you how he provided manna, but beloved, what I'm trying to tell you right now is that I am the far greater, that I am the greater Moses. And the reason is, is I didn't come down just with manna, but I am true manna. See, Moses, he came down with the promise of manna to lead the way to the promised land. But when Jesus came down and he says that I am the bread of life, he is declaring he is pro the promise of bread himself. See, Jesus Christ, he is the greater Moses, for he perfectly interceded on our behalf, not by just giving us manna from heaven, but he gave up himself entirely. What I love about this as it unfolds is that he shows us in a way that makes sense for all of us. How does Jesus illustrate, demonstrate, and showcase that he is the bread of life? He demonstrates it through brokenness. When Jesus says that he is the bread of life, he is not just saying, I am the perfect person. He is not just saying, I am the ultimate person, which he is but to demonstrate it in a way that we can understand as he says, I am a broken person. That just as you can break bread piece by piece to be consumed so it could be accessed in the most simplistic way, 
Jesus says, my body would be torn piece to piece, limb by limb, to the point of death so that you and I can be satisfied. That's why Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. See, when Jesus Christ, he did some, when he did something about our sin and shame, he didn't give us just bits of crumbs lying on the floor. Now, Jesus says that I'm going to exchange myself for your behalf. You could take my seat at the dining table, and you could be fully satisfied. See, I know some of us right now, maybe you feel that you're feeling very worthless and empty. But know that Jesus Christ, he came to show you that you are greatly loved. You are valued. You are honored. And he showcased it on the cross. He emptied himself so that you and I can be satisfied. That he understands your brokenness because he was broken. He understands your shame because he's been shamed. But beloved, won't you trust in him? Because in his brokenness and in his shame, was he not honored and glorified? as a risen king. He understands your brokenness because he was broken. There is no sin, no shame, no suffering that can take you away from the seat at the dining table. So how should this I am statement shape of who we are? And this leads us to our third and our final point, how this shapes us. The question for the believer today, for you and I, is the question is of, of how do I know if, if the gospel is real in my life? Now, obviously, it's a very nuanced question, right, because of the complexity of everyone's life. You know, everyone has their own story and the narrative. So how the gospel, uh, uh, you know, um, is real in your life, it's probably going to look a little different for the person that's sitting next to you. But to generally answer this question, you know the gospel is shaping you and that's real to you when it begins to challenge the things that you value in your life. See, when the gospel becomes more than just church lingo but redemptive truth, what it's going to do and what it should do is it should kind of shape some of the old ways and old habits of who you once were. And it should kind of shape and, and kind of create a conviction that the old way has gone and that the new has come. And in light of newness, it kind of gives you a radical new hope of how you want to live and what you want to be. See, the gospel shapes how you live. It's the reason why Jesus, in this verse, doesn't just declare himself as bread, but he says bread of life, if I can explain. See, in the Greek, uh, there are several words uh, for life. And in the Greek, most often the word in the English Bible is translated from the Greek word bios, which we get the word biology. It's what our body needs for food, sustainment, anything pertaining to physical life. But what we see in verse 35, when Jesus declares himself as the bread of life, 
The Greek word that's used is not bios, but in verse 35, we see the Greek word zoe. Zoe is not just life in the biological sense, but when we see zoe life, it's pertaining to the deep spiritual level of life. See, when we see Zoe, it's not referring to just a quantitative measurement of how many years you're going to live, but rather the quantitative sense of life that you live right now. And what Jesus is saying, that when he is the bread of life, he is saying, I am the bread of this Zoe life. It's a declaration from Jesus to tell you and I that he is the only one that can give you the life that you were meant to live. I might not give you 10 to 15 years of, of life right now, and I don't, he's probably saying, I don't know if you really want that, but what I will give you while you're living is the fullness of life. That in the Zoe life that I am and that I give you, I give you great purpose. That in the Zoe life that I give you, I give you hope. That the life in me, I give you freedom. And in me, I most certainly will give you undeniable and unspeakable joy. So he says that he is the bread of life and that in him you can be satisfied. If you believe that Jesus Christ is more than enough in your life, it should begin to shape how you live. Because you're no longer looking for the breadcrumbs that you're constantly looking for, but you already have something that is more than enough. And I think one way that we know that the gospel is shaping us and knowing that Jesus is the ultimate satisfier is that you begin to stop thinking about the little loaves and crumbs of your life, right? The things that were meant to be just loaves, excuse me, just crumbs, right? The status, the, the, the job, the, the, the relationship, that one thing that you desire. I, th- I think when the gospel becomes true and it becomes the fullness of everything that you looked for, and that's all that you'll need, the things that are surround you just becomes a little bit less. They're still important, but just not of utmost value. It's not just that ultimate thing. You don't cling on to crumbs. You value the things that are more important in life. You know, the question for you and I, and then the question we always have to ask ourselves as we kind of counsel our own hearts and letting the Bible speak into our idols is, what are some of those crumbs that we always look for? And would you consider that you have something far greater that's already in front of you? When the love of Christ leaves you satisfied, not only do you want more of him, but you want others to, to experience this as well, right? See, that's another way of knowing that, you know, um, the gospel is shaping you. Because as you're giving life, you also want to give life to others. You know, if I can say this, you know, if I could speak to the, the metro community, you know, one thing that, you know, I would ask all of us to consider if you call this home or if you're considering a home, in what ways... Are you being life-giving just as Jesus gave you life, all right? Are you demonstrating missional intentionality with one another, 
Are you being, um, um, you know, just intentionally relational with the people that are surrounding you? Are you missionally engaged for the sake of the gospel within the city of Philadelphia? You know, is this challenging you in those ways to be more life-giving in every shape or form? And you're probably wondering, Brian, did you just mention Easter outreach and ways that I can financially give and hand out flyers immediately after service? That's probably the Holy Spirit. I didn't say that. (laughs) But in all seriousness, you know, in light of a new site, in light of developing a robust outreach ministry uh, to to expand city embracingness in Philadelphia, to to offer life in, in the relationships that are within this community, would you consider this notion of being more life-giving just as Jesus gave you the fullness of life? That if you believe in this bread of life, it would shape you to stop being so infant-like within your appetite of just searching for crumbs, but that you would have a spiritual healthy palate for the things of eternity. I want to close with verse 51. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I will give you for life of the world. Eat this bread of life. Live forever with Christ, for there will be a day that there will be no more sorrow. There will be a day when there will be no more pain and no more suffering. And in the meantime, you can find your deepest yearnings and longings that your soul craves to be satisfied by this bread of life. Would you join me in prayer?